Thanks for tuning into this week's message. For more resources and information about Cedar Valley, please visit cvchurch.org. All right. Good to be back. Man, I, I totally, it's so good. You know, it's, you just, you realize how much you love this place. And, and uh, we worship somewhere else for three weeks, you know, different places. And we left town. We took a little time off and went south. Some of you have uh, been there. Cute little town. It's called Burnsville. I don't know if you've ever been there. Um, that is just a wonderful part of the country if you've never been there. So if you're just tuning in online, you, Burnsville is like the French Riviera, only completely different. So, um, yeah, we had a good time away. We had a really good time. Kimmy's still gone. We drove separate. So Kimmy's still gone. She probably had car trouble. And I, I have a schedule to keep, so I had to get back. So, uh, so we had a great time. But it, it, it really does. I, I, I love this church. And one of the things, that, and listen, you know this, like we don't, we don't promote our church like this is the best church. We, we don't, it's all God's church, right? But I'll just say this, churches are culturally very different. And I really appreciate some of the things culturally about this church. And so one of the things, and this is not wrong, it's not bad, it's just different. I wasn't really used to it, that I got to a church and, and the worship leader, she got up and she said in the morning, we're going to stand up and sing some songs now. And I was like, our people don't really sing songs. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, we enter into worship. You all take worship serious. And, and I just love that. So it's great to be back. Time off is great, but... It's great to be back. I've said this before. I get very nostalgic about different things at different times. And it's just, if, you, if, you, if you're with me on this, like certain things just trigger nostalgia in you. You know what I mean? And so I uh, found an envelope not too long ago. And after my mother passed, it was an envelope that just, I'm not even sure who sent it to me, but somebody in the family mailed it to me. It's a big brown envelope and it had all kinds of pictures in it. Pictures, if you're my age, might be very nostalgic when we feel pictures and they have a little white frame. It's very nostalgic to me and, and it just brings a flood of memories. And one of them in particular that I saw was my brother. I have an older sister and then an older brother and then myself and, and we all had our pajamas on and I knew instantly, I knew what that was. It was a Saturday morning at our house and Saturday mornings at our house, and I don't know if it was like this for you when you were growing up, Saturday mornings at our house are cartoons. And so your folks finally get a day to sleep in, but when you're little, you get up, you get all jacked up on Lucky Charms, and then you just watch cartoons, you know? And so the whole cartoon thing to me is just very stupid nostalgic, you know? And so because of that, uh, it wasn't too long ago when I was reading this article, and it talked something about today's cartoons, you know? And I was like, okay, that's interesting. So they, they gave what are today's top five cartoons, okay? Big City Greens. Never heard of it. Don't even know it. That was number five. Number five, number four was SpongeBob SquarePants. Okay, heard of it. <laughs> Haven't spent a lot of time watching it. Heard of it. Then it was Craig of the Creek. I got no idea. I'm, I'm still clueless, right? Number two was Amphibia, which even, it actually kind of sounds like some kind of superhero cartoon, you know? And then number one was The Owl House. And for me, it just didn't, didn't resonate at all. I was clueless. I'm like, well, what, whatever happened to the Jetsons? <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Like, what happened to that kind of stuff? Like, you want to know what's wrong with the world today? Like, whatever happened to Super Friends? Whatever happened to the Hair Bear Bunch? Somebody, whatever happened to Johnny Quest? Like that, come on, right? And so then it made me think, 
okay, so I'm getting older. Uh, Y'all were like, what's a Johnny Quest? I don't even... <laughs> I don't even know what Johnny Quest is. But then I just thought, like, this is probably different from my father. Like, I don't know, they had some kind of cartoon or something. So here's an old one. Watch, watch this cartoon for just a second. Everybody on this room just wished you were older. Like, I don't even remember. That was 1935, you know? And so if you don't understand the whole concept behind Popeye, it was always the same thing. There's three characters, basically. There's Popeye, there's olive oil, and there's Bluto. And Bluto's the bad guy. And always Popeye would get into a bad situation and it looks like it's dire straits. And he's just getting his brains pummeled or things have been really hard, really hard. And then spinach. And with spinach, all of a sudden, he's like, boom, rock of Gibraltar. He pops a can of spinach open, and he is ready to go. Like, you just pop a can of spinach, you're good to go. And I know it's a cartoon, and I get that, and, and I get that whole thing. But, but I was thinking this. What about us sometimes? Like, sometimes you ever feel just like, man, I just feel like I'm getting pummeled by life. I'm a follower of Jesus, and I'm trying to live as a follower of Jesus, and it's just tough. And it seems like it's getting increasingly difficult. Like, more and more, I feel at odds with the culture, and I feel like the culture is, like, it's not okay for me to say things anymore. And, and either, either I'm ancient and I'm archaic, or I'm a hater, or I'm a... And you just feel like, buh 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 Like, you're just getting knocked out, and Bluto is just, right? And so the question actually becomes this. Is there a spinach for real life? Like in real life, I'm talking about in real life, is there a spinach that all of a sudden you go, pow, rock of Gibraltar? Like you can endure, you can strengthen. And so the questions become questions like this. 
How do I keep going when I'm worn out? Anybody feeling that? Over the last three years, anybody feeling that? Man, when I'm worn out, when I'm just tired, maybe the question becomes something a little more like this. How do I keep from throwing in the towel? I call myself a Jesus, a follower of Jesus. I've always been a follower of Jesus. I, I want to, but I'm just thinking about bagging it. It's just too difficult. It would just be easier to go with the current. It would be easier to go along with the culture. Maybe the question becomes something like this. How do I persevere? Not just how do I survive, not just how do I get by, how do I persevere as a follower of Jesus? And to that extent, how do I live a meaningful and purposeful life? How do I give a life, live a life that matters, that counts, where I'm on purpose? I'm living in the way that God designed me. I'm living in the purpose that God has called me to as a follower of Jesus. How do I do that? Is there something like that? We're going to continue our series in Luke, Luke chapter 18. You're going to see today Luke chapter 18. If you have that in your Bibles or when you get it in your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. I don't say this often enough, but man, I really believe you should have a printed Bible, something you can scribble in and make notes. And so if you don't have one, don't go buy one. We bought them. There's a bunch of them in the lobby. They're on the high top tables. We have Bibles in English. We have Bibles in Spanish. And uh, I'd encourage you to just take one. That's yours. Take it home. Start writing notes in it. If you're a guest here at Cedar Valley this morning, I just want you to know, we always stand when we read just our primary text. And the reason we do that is because it's a physical reminder that what we're reading is not some fellows who wrote a book. This is God speaking to us in Bloomington in 2022. So I'm chapter 18. I'm starting in verse 1. And it just says this. One day, Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. Now, there was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor did he care about people. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally said to himself, I don't fear God and I don't care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. And I'm going to see that she gets justice because she's wearing me out with her constant requests. Then the Lord Jesus said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give you justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? Verse 8, I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on the earth who have faith? Let's pray. So Father, we thank you for your written word. We thank you that um, you provide this for us, that you give us wisdom, you give us life, you give us truth. And so, Father, do that now for those of us who are here, for those online. Do that now. Speak your life and speak your truth into us. God, I'm assuming by the power of your Holy Spirit that different people are going to hear slightly different versions today. And we trust you, Holy Spirit, that you know what each of us needs. And so do that in a way that strengthens us and that draws us to you, God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you can have a seat. So... 
Interesting, and we're actually going to have to look at this probably slightly different maybe than what you've previously thought. So let me start with verse 1. Look in your Bibles. It says, one day Jesus told his disciples a story. Now this is very important for the context of this. You need to understand this. In Luke chapter 1, you can look in your Bibles, and in verse 3, Luke says, I'm writing to give you an accurate account. Some translations say, I'm writing to give you an orderly account. But here's what you need to know that is very important. The word there that is used in the Greek that Luke would have used when he said, I'm writing to give you an accurate account or an orderly account, that word literally in the Greek means this, an orderly account in time, yes, an orderly account in sequence, yes. So sometimes we read things from the gospel writers which are sequential, but it also means an orderly account in order of logic, which means this, in particular in the ancient world, the way that they wrote was oftentimes thematic, where they would tell you things that were out of chronologic order because it made more sense for them to make their point. I'm going to tell you this, and now logically, in order for you to get the point, I'm going to tell you this. They didn't happen sequentially. Does that make sense? And so understand that, that what Luke is doing here is he's writing to us, and he's trying to make a point to us at different times. And so he says this. We'll get to that in a second. But it says this. He tells him a story. Jesus was master storyteller. And I love this, that he just gives you the big idea before he even gets going. The whole reason that Jesus tells this particular story is that they should always pray and never give up. That's it. That's the point. That's his big so what of this story. So know this going into it, that the whole idea behind you and I listening to the stories, we would always pray and never give up. Now, here's the problem when you're a Westerner, and in particular, an American, because we are born and bred in this country to be consumers first. Okay, it's not a biblical idea, it's not a Christian idea, but we are consumers. We have the great temple about three blocks from here. You understand what I'm saying? Like, when you're a consumer, the way that you think of prayer is this. If you just keep begging for what you want long enough, you get what you want the way you want. You will get what you want. And that's going to be a problem if you're going to live a Christian lifestyle. That's going to be a problem if we're going to understand the Bible. Jesus did not call us to be consumers. We're called to be disciples, right? So what he's telling them here is, I'm telling you this story so that you would know to always pray and never give up. Now, to understand the story, let me just point out one word for you. We talk about this all the time. Context. Context is everything to understand. This is why people in the media always complain that they were taken out of Boom, there it is. And so in order for you to understand context, you might understand the context of a word, and you do that by looking at the sentence around it that, that is how, it'll tell you how that word is being used. Sometimes we understand context by saying, what did their culture think? And what did it mean to them in that day in culture? Here's another way that you get context. When you read a story in the Gospels, you look at what's surrounding that story. Where was it? Okay, back to our point. Luke was writing an accurate account, an orderly account, accurate and orderly in, in matters of time and sequence, yes, but in logic, Luke, the gospel writer, is saying, I want to get this point across to you, and so I'm going to tell you these stories in this order. So in order to do that, we want to look at the story right before, because the story right after this is about prayer. And specifically, it's about what kind of prayers does God hear and what's the heart that God hears and listens to in regards to prayer. That's the next story. We're going to actually talk about it next week. But in order to understand this, I want us also to see what is he saying right before this. If you have your Bible, flip back one page to chapter 17. Now look at this. Watch. This is chapter 17. It says one day. Again, he's just telling another incident. 
And he says this, one day the Pharisees asked Jesus a question. You all know the Pharisees, a lot of you do. The Pharisees were a religious group, and I don't say that in, in a good light. They were very religious in that they were more about the rules and traditions of men than about the heart of God. You understand, if you're, if you're a Pharisee, it's more important to, we say, be right than to really do the right thing. Okay, so that's who the Pharisees are. So now they come and ask Jesus a question. And the question they ask Jesus is, when will the kingdom of God come? The kingdom of God will be preceded by the return of the Messiah. Oh, wait a minute. Who's Jesus? He's the Messiah. And so they just asked him, hey, when will the kingdom of God come? And Jesus answers and he says this. Well, you won't be able to say, here it is, or it's over there, because the kingdom of God is already among you. What is he just saying? I'm the Messiah. It would have been really awkward to that crowd. They're like, the Pharisees in particular, like, well, the kingdom of God. Well, it would have to be the Messiah. Well, who do you think? You understand? So Jesus is saying, you're not going to come. You're not going to see it because it's already among you. I'm here. I'm the Messiah. And you have no clue. You don't recognize it at all. And then he says to his disciples. Now, this is fun because Jesus oftentimes does this. He's teaching to a crowd. And then visually, this is how I see it. But you got to imagine Jesus is talking to a crowd. And then every once in a while he goes like this. And he talks to his disciples, right? Hey, everybody, blah, 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 blah. Now, just so you guys know, like that's kind of what he does. Okay, so he does that right here. Then he says to his disciples, the time is coming, now listen to this, when you will long to see, you will desire it, you will want it, you can't wait for the return of the Messiah, when the Son of Man returns, when he comes back, I'm already here. You're gonna long for the time when I come back. Why is that? And here's the context of this. It's gonna be because things are so difficult, that things are so hard, that it's gonna get increasingly difficult for you all, that it will be harder to live as a follower of Christ. Is this ringing with anybody? It's going, I'm just telling you, I'm not the, I'm not the doomsday. Chicken, you're like, I'm not chicken little and the sky is falling. I'm just telling you, he's very clear that as time goes on, it's going to be harder and harder to be a Christian. I'm not telling you anything you haven't actually experienced. There are things that you do and you think and you want to say today and everybody's like, oh, you're a terrible person. You're like, no, I'm a follower of Jesus. I said it with as much love as I can say it right? And that's what Jesus is saying, is that the time is going to come when you're going to just long to see me. You just can't wait for me to return. People will tell you, hey, look over there. There's a son of man. Things are so bad. Things are so difficult. Like, we find that today, that things are really difficult. Man, gas almost hit five bucks. It's got to be the return of the Messiah. Grapefruit's up a quarter. Got to be the return of the Messiah. Like, we just do that. Here's what he's telling them. Hey, people are going to say it's over there, it's over here. Don't go out and follow him. Don't be fooled. Don't be fooled. And here's why you don't have to be fooled. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other, so will be on the day when the Son of Man comes. You've been standing somewhere one time, and you guys are having a, a casual conversation. You're not expecting anything. And all of a sudden, even in the distance, boom, just lightning. You know what I'm talking about? And everybody goes, did you see that? Yeah, you're going to see it. You're going to see it. That's exactly what he says here. You're not going to have to guess. You're not going to have to wonder about when Christ returns. He said, it'll be like when the lightning lights up the sky from one end to the other. It's going to be just like that. You don't have to worry. You won't be fooled. And then he says this. He goes on to tell him what it's actually going to be like when Jesus returns. He's, he's going on to tell him this. Now, remember, this is all in context. He's all talking about prayer. He's been talking about that. He says, when the Son of Man returns, it will be like in, in Noah's day. Now, everybody in his audience would have known it. They know what it meant when Noah came. What happened when Noah was here? He built an ark. Why? Because God flooded the earth. Question, why did God flood the earth? 
because the people were so wicked, because it was so evil. That's what's going on. Noah was said to be the only righteous man. He was called a righteous man, but he was the only one. Things were getting so evil, so wicked, that God flooded the earth. He spared Noah and his family, right? And here's what he said it was like. He said, in those days, the days of Noah, people enjoyed banquets. It's all good. But they went to parties, went to weddings, right up to the time that Noah entered his boat and the flood came and destroyed them all. It was one of the most, it was the most wicked time up to that point. It was the most wicked time and people are going about their business. Does that resonate with you at all? There are things that happen in the culture today that, if, you know, if you're my age, man, or older, 25 years ago, we never thought we'd see today. And we just think, what on earth? What are people thinking? Right. And guess what? We all just go about our business. Everybody just goes about their business. Even on wicked days, everybody just goes about their business. Then he says this, and the world will be as it was in the days of Lot. Stop. Everybody knew what that meant. Where did Lot live? Sodom. Sodom and Gomorrah, the two most evil and wicked cities that were ever known. Lot lived there. Everybody knows, oh, the world will be as it was in the days of Lot. You mean in the evil, wicked days where people just did hideous, wicked things? Yeah. He says this, people went about their daily business. They were eating, they were drinking, they were buying, they were selling, they were farming. People just going about their business. NBD, we always say, no big deal, no big deal, NBD, just going about your business. Evil, wicked days, terrible things were going on, and people are just going about their business. He's saying, when the Son of Man returns, when I return, it's going to be just like that. It's going to be evil, and it's going to be wicked, and you know what? No big deal. Everybody just goes about their business. Now, let me take you back to Genesis because you got to see this, right? So we started in Luke 18. I took you back one chapter to Luke 17 to get the context. Now I'm going to flesh this story out for you in the days of Lot. And it says this, fire and burning sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. Still talking about the days of Lot in Luke. Yes, it will be business as usual right up to the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Okay, Remember what happened to Lot's wife. Now notice the, the punctuation, because punctuation is everything. It's not a question mark, it's an exclamation point. In other words, he's not, he's not saying, does, does anybody remember what happened to Lot's wife? No, he's saying, and he would say to us today, everybody, pay attention, remember what happened to Lot's wife. I want you to just let that sink in for a bit. Okay, now you get to see the story. Lot's town was extremely wicked. And the story of Lot goes like this, that Lot had separated from his uh, uncle, Abram, and now he moved towards Sodom. Then he's, he's moving into Sodom, and he becomes a mover and a shaker in the city of Sodom, the most wicked city of their time. One night, he's hanging at home, and uh, he goes out for a walk. A couple of visitors come into the town. The ancient, near ancient East, in their hospitality, this is just the way their culture works, if you were at the town square and somebody walked into the town square, you're instantly to go over and invite them into your home. To not invite them into your home would be totally inappropriate. Of course you don't know them. They're strangers. That's what you do. So Lot sees these two men, and he says, hey, come into my home. Now, at the time, Lot just thinks they're two men. He doesn't recognize that they're angels, and he doesn't know yet why they're sent there. So they come into Lot's house. Now Lot has these guests in his house. Boom, not too much later, a group of men, a mob of men, they come and they pound on the door. And this is what they say, buckle up. They say, hey, Lot, you bring those two boys out here. We're going to have sex with them. Now, you need to understand the context of this. This is nothing about sexuality. This is not a story about sexuality. This is a story about rape. Okay, what is rape about? 
Rape is about power and control. This is a mob saying, you send those boys out here. We're fixing to show them who's in control, who runs this town. That's what this is. Okay? And Lot says, oh, man, I can't do that. I can't do that. And it starts to get really ugly, and it starts to get really violent. And it says they lunge at him, and at that moment, the angels inside the house grab Lot, they yank him into the house, and they bar the door. And the angels say to Lot, Lot, you have got to get out of here. You have got to get everybody out here. Now it says at dawn the next morning, which means he hasn't left all night. He's still, hmm, should I, shouldn't I? Should I stay here in Sodom? Should I? And it says at dawn the next morning, the angels became insistent. Hurry, they say to Lot. Take your wife and your two daughters who are here. you got to get out of here. In fact, they say, get out right now or you'll be swept away in the destruction of the city. The whole reason that these two angels were sent there is to destroy the city. Now they're giving Lot a chance to escape. Believe it or not, Lot still hesitates. Lot hesitates. Like he's thinking about it. Here's the issue. Lot's like, I don't, really, don't really want to leave my old way of life. Like, I kind of enjoy it. No, I don't, I, I'm a follower of God. No, I kind of enjoy it. And he's doing that thing. He's not really sure whether he likes it or not. And so finally, finally, Lot grabs his family, and they run out of the house. And they get to the edge of the city. And it says this, that when they were safely out of the city, one of the angels now ordered him, run for your lives. And key, don't look back. Don't stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the mountains, or you will be swept away. Now, Lot again does this. Should I? Shouldn't I? Like, where does he find that fortitude? Where does he find the strength? Where does he find the strength to say, I'm not going to live like that anymore? Like, I, I, I'm a man of God. I'm going to live like that. Where does he find that strength? Right? So Lot says this. He's kind of make a compromise. And he said, hey, um, we're supposed to head up to the mountains. That's kind of far away. There's the cutest little town right over here. It's like Burnsville is what he said to him. It's this cute little town over here. And he says, what, what if we just went over there? Not too far. I don't want to get too far from Sodom. I don't want to get too far from my old way of life. I don't want to get too far from my old habits. Like, he can't make up his mind. He, he doesn't want to go all the way to the mountains. And so the angels say, all right, all right. You want to go to that cute little town over there? Like, that's okay. Just do that. But get out of here. And they've said already, don't look back. And so as they're fleeing, Lot's wife looked back as she was following behind him. Lot's wife, like Lot finally made a decision, I'm going. She starts to go and she's like, she's doing that thing. Like, she wants to stay in that old life. It's attractive to her. She's become used to it. Right? What is she going to do? So she looks back, and it says this, and she turned into a pillar of salt. Now, i got to be honest with you. That sounds crazy to me, and I, I don't know exactly what it means. I think in some way she was turned into some pillar of salt. I believe, I know this for sure, this is God's judgment on her. God severely judges her. Because she's just feeling like, do I, do I, should I, but I kind of like, but should I, because I, but, right? Where do you find that fortitude? Like, how does she do that? Okay, that's the story. Now, this was the Genesis account, but that's the story he just got talking about in Luke 17. Okay, we didn't add chapters to the Bible until about the 1300s. We didn't add verses to the Bible until about the 1500s. You understand that they would pick up a text and you just read it. 
Now, for today, it's great that I go, hey, turn to Luke 18. And everybody goes, yes, Luke 18. I know where exactly. Like, they didn't have that. So sometimes these chapters, you have to be very careful when you read the scripture that the chapter break doesn't get in your way of understanding the context of everything. Chapter 17, he just told this account about Luke. He just told it. And then in verse 18, he says, here's another story, everybody. One day, Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. You understand what I'm saying? It just flows from one right to the next. The challenge again is as Americans, we think that that pray and never give up means if you're not getting your way, if you don't get you want what you want, like just keep asking and keep praying. So what story does he tell them? Well, he tells them the story that we just read. It's the widow and it's this chief judge guy. Now, what's really interesting in the story is you have two people at opposite ends of the power structure. Here's a widow. It's very likely an older widow. She has almost no power. Now, understand this. The scriptures make very clear provisions for widows. But I'm just saying, on the power scale, she's all the way down here, and she has no power. On the other end, you have this judge. And here's what we're told about the judge. He doesn't care about people, and he doesn't care about God. In the Greek, that word is pronounced jerk. That's how we say it. <laughs> That's what this dude is. He doesn't like people. He doesn't care about people. He doesn't give a rip about God. That's who he is. And this woman says, hey, I want justice. I want justice. I want justice. She's in a difficult situation. She's in a tough situation. And she keeps going to the judge, and the judge will not help her. And finally, the judge admits it. And he goes, I'm a big jerk. But here's the deal. This woman's driving me crazy. And then he's compared to God only in this sense, right. And don't you think your heavenly father would at least do that? Don't you think so? Again, I think this is very important, right? I mean, I, I think when you look at the whole verse, now watch this, because look at the very end of the passage that we just read. Look at the very end of the passage. He, he's going to give you some giant clue here. Watch what he says at the very end. He tells the whole story. He tells about how the judge helps her out, and then he says this, but when the Son of Man returns, when Christ returns, difficult, 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 harder to live a Christian life, harder to live as a Christian, you're more opposed by the culture, things are difficult, things are challenging. Question, when Jesus comes back, how many will he find on the earth who have faith? Like, like how, many, how many is he going to find that stay diligent in their faith. Some, some translations say who have persistent faith, who have a, an ongoing faith, who stay with it. Now remember this, so you gotta keep putting the pieces together. What did the very first verse of this say? The whole point of him telling this was, always pray and never give up. And the last sentence says, when he returns, when Jesus returns, how many of, how many of them will have faith? This word for faith, is pistis in, 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 in the Greek, and it's very related to prayer. It's almost the same idea. Faith and prayer are the same things. It's the way that the word is used. Sometimes it's translated faith, and sometimes it's translated prayer, which means this. He started out saying, I'm telling you something. Be persistent in prayer. Keep praying. Keep praying. Keep praying. At the very end, he reiterates the idea and says, but when Christ returns, how many will he find who have persistent faith. And so the question becomes this, 
How do we have persistent faith? How do we keep going? How do we not throw in the towel? How do we stand against a culture which continues to tell us increasingly that this Christian lifestyle that you guys wanna live is crazy and it's stupid and you're mean? Like, how do we do that? What was the point of this, of this, of this story? Always pray. Be persistent in prayer. Be persistent in prayer. We started out by asking this question, man, is there a spinach for real life? Is there a spinach for your life? Is there something where I'm just getting blue-doed, my brains are getting beat out, I'm just tired, I'm worn down? Where do I find the strength to go on? Maybe it's a health condition. How do I keep going in the midst of this? Maybe it's a relationship problem. How do I keep going? Maybe it's a financial problem. How do I keep going? Maybe it's a work situation. How do I keep going? I'm telling you this story for this reason. Be persistent in prayer. Be persistent in prayer because when Jesus comes again, he's gonna be looking to say, who has persistent faith? Who has stayed with it? How do you get to here? You go persistent prayer, persistent prayer, persistent prayer. Where's the spinach? Where can we just pop open a can of spinach? How do we find the strength? Here's your big so what today. I'm telling you, as true as can be, pop a can and know you can. You pop open a can of prayer and you'll know you can because he's promised us, be persistent in prayer. Prayer is the spinach of the Christian life. Man, we're Popeye and we're getting blue-doed to death. You pop a can of prayer open. You start praying. You just start praying. That's why Paul said to the Thessalonian church, he said, never stop praying. And the way that you would remember this if you're my age is the older translations say, pray without pray without ceasing you're going to work in the morning mindset of prayer you're getting up and you're getting ready for things in your home mindset of prayer you're struggling you're struggling mindset of prayer mindset of prayer mindset of prayer here's the challenge the challenge and i'll just reiterate this we're westerners here's how we think of prayer That's how we think of prayer. I jump up on the lap of the Holy Santa Claus and I give him a list and I want a G.I. Joe with a Kung Fu grip and we just start listing things off. Yes, that's how we think of prayer. Now listen, if that, just so you know, if, you, if that's how you've thought of prayer, right Thursday morning, weren't we talking about this? Our guys, we, we were talking about this and we were talking about prayer and we were reading a book about prayer and the conversation came around and somebody said, you know, that's how I've always thought about prayer. Like, just tell God what you want. I was at a prayer group with a group of Christians. I was out of town at a conference years ago. This is not a Christian group, but there are a lot of Christians in the group. And they said, hey, on Saturday night at the conference, we all get together for prayer. And I'm like, right on, I'm in, let's do that. We scheduled a little over an hour. We spent 50 minutes going around a circle of about 25 people telling God what we wanted. I want this, I want this, I want this. We scheduled about an hour. We get to the last 10 minutes and we go, well, we should pray. See, if that's how you've always thought of prayer, you are not alone. You are not alone. You know who else didn't fully get it? The disciples didn't fully get it. The disciples, everybody. And Jesus kind of knew that. So in Matthew 7, chapter 6, Jesus is going to tell them to pray. Now watch. Jesus tells them, pray like this. Now it's very important. He didn't say pray these words, right? There's nothing wrong with praying the Lord's Prayer. But he says this, our Father in, who art in heaven. And then what does he say? Hallowed be thy name. What is that? That's worship. See, prayer can be worship. When you go to God and you're in worship, when you're in worship, that's prayer to God. 
That's prayer to God. You wanna hear something really crazy? Here's a Greek word for prayer. It's prosumakai, prosumakai. And that's not a big deal. Here's what it means, to wish or to pray. That's not even surprising. Watch this, watch this. This is what it literally means. Literally, it means to interact with God by switching human wishes or human ideas for God's wishes and God's faith, again, uh, 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 and God's ideas. As he imparts, there's the word again, faith. See, faith and prayer, you can't separate. Right, we, it, like there's no separating them. And so we think, well, man, Neil, how would I pray all the time? How would I pray all the time? How would I pray all the time? Because I need about three things right now. And it took me about four minutes to ask for those three things. And now I'm ready to move on. And I'm like, no, 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 just persist in prayer. Just persist in prayer. Life's tough for you. You feel like you're getting beat up. You feel like you're worn down. You feel like it's a struggle. You feel like you can't live the Christian life. You're tired of fighting, right? No, no, no. Then we go to prayer. Then we're just people of prayer. Then we're just people of prayer. And so here's what I would say. This is the, the big now what. We have a big so what. Here's the big now what this morning. Right now, I want you to do it right now. Just think in your head, right now. Got this, ready? Everybody, clear your head. Right now, in your schedule, I want you to schedule your prayer time for the next two weeks. When's it gonna be? Schedule right now. You might put it in your phone. It might go in your outlook. We schedule what's really important. That's why I get mail all the time that's a year in advance, hey, save our date. It's the most important thing, save our date. We'll actually let you know when it's gonna be our invitation. Like, we'll send that to you in about six months. You know why we do that? Because you schedule what's important. Is prayer important? Followers of Jesus, is it important to you? I don't know. I mean, that's your, you, you gotta answer that. I'm saying we schedule what's important. Schedule your prayer time for the next two weeks. Got it right now, you got it? I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's first thing in the morning. Like maybe it's in your noon hour. Like maybe it's after work. Maybe you're getting ready to go to bed. I'm saying schedule it now. Persist in prayer, persist in prayer, persist in prayer. Papa can and you will know you can because that's where our strength comes from. That's our spinach. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the encouragement, Father. We thank you you encourage us. You want to strengthen us. You want to build us up, oh God. You want to do that. And so God, encourage your body. Strengthen your body. Remind your body that this life is not about getting through or surviving. This body, this life is about living on purpose for your kingdom to make disciples, to make you known. God, we're gonna need a super can of spinach for that. We're going to need people of prayer. We're gonna need to be people of prayer. God, encourage us, encourage us, encourage us to do that. Strengthen your body. God, give us great resolve to be people of prayer. God, would you do that? Would you do that? Would you just reveal to us the importance God, would we make prayer a priority? Would Neil, would I make prayer just such a priority? God, would our staff, would our team make such a priority out of prayer? God, would this local church body make it a priority? God, would we see your kingdom advance as we do? Would we see this, trans, this neighborhood transform for the name of Christ as we do? Strengthen your church, build your church. 
God, that we just be in fellowship, getting to know you, getting to know you, constantly spending time with you. Strengthen your people, God, as they pray. Strengthen us as we pray. Hey, just let the Holy Spirit speak to you for just a minute. Let the Holy Spirit just say what he wants to say to you. Just listen. God, as you speak, would you remind them how much you love them, that your plan from the very beginning was to send your own son to suffer and die? Would you remind them? For those who really need to hear that, God, strengthen them, encourage them, remind them how much you love them, that you are for them, that you are always, always with them. God, that you never leave us, you never forsake us, you never abandon us, you are always with us that your will for our lives is good and pleasing and perfect. God, that you cause all things to work together for our good. Would you remind them? Would you remind them, Holy Spirit? Father, we just love being in your presence. We just want to spend time personally with you. Grant us that, oh God, we pray in Jesus' name. 